0: Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm Snowden Bishop, and I'm happy you could be here. Have you ever noticed how athletes who play contact sports appear to have superhuman resilience? The ease at which some of them seem to shake off serious blows and get back in the game is nothing short of amazing, especially considering that any one such occurrence would have me carried off the field in a stretcher and likely convalescing for weeks in writhing pain. But whether they're keeping their eyes on the prize or simply toughing it out for the good of the team, players pushing their physical limits like good warriors in the battlefield make it seem as though they're completely oblivious to the pain and risks of playing through their injuries. But off the field may be a different story. The NFL, MLB, MMA, and other contact sports leagues are notorious for dispensing conventional drugs to help athletes cope with injuries like strained ligaments, broken ribs, whiplash, and concussive blows to the head that can't be ignored once the adrenaline subsides and the residual pain kicks in. And when the insights don't work, they won't hesitate to prescribe opiates. While conventional drugs are effective for managing the immediate pain in the short term, they really do little to address the long-term problems repetitive injuries can cause. This is especially true of traumatic head injuries like concussions, which are all too common in contact sports and can cause permanent brain impairment over time. Medical researchers have begun to associate repetitive concussions with the degenerative brain condition known as chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, which often manifests as chronic headaches, insomnia, and dementia. While opiates and antipsychotics and benzos are prescribed to treat some of those symptoms, they pose dangerous side effects and have a high potential for addiction, which really only makes matters worse. This is where cannabis has proven to be a promising therapy for retired players afflicted with CTE and chronic pain stemming from a career of high-impact sports. While it's been nearly impossible for doctors to definitively diagnose CTE in a living brain, former athletes experiencing the symptoms of it can attest it is debilitating. Those who have access to cannabis can also attest that it's helping them cope with the symptoms and appears to slow the progression of the disease. And just as cannabis offers a safer alternative to commonly prescribed painkillers, There's mounting scientific evidence that it can actually help protect players who are prone to repetitive concussive injuries. And that explains why so many former athletes are now actively pushing for their sports franchises to end the overprescribing of dangerous pharmaceuticals and instead allow the use of cannabis to treat sports injuries and protect the brain. That's the topic of today's show and I'm excited to introduce our guest. Anna Simons is a pro athlete whose acclaimed career in rugby has already spanned 19 years. As a player in the U.S. Rugby Women's Premier League, she's won a USA Rugby Division I National Championship, selection to the National All-Star Competition, and won the Sydney Australia Premiership Championship. Also having competed as a touch rugby or seventh player, She's landed a coveted spot representing the USA at the 2015 World Cup and has won four national championships with the Portland Hunters. She's also competed in mixed martial arts when she's not on the field playing rugby, and today she's the director of education at East Fork Cultivars where she runs a CBD certified education program. As an athlete ambassador for the nonprofit advocacy organization Athletes for Care, she advocates for cannabis research and patient rights with the hope that others who are struggling with pain might find their way to a safe and speedy recovery. She frequently speaks publicly about her experiences of healing and the benefits of using cannabis as both a preventative and curative medicine. Most recently, she was at the Cannabis Science Conference, where she appeared alongside a panel of athletes moderated by Dr. Sue Sisley. Anna, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so glad you're here. You're actually the first female athlete that I've interviewed about cannabis, so you have that unique distinction here. (laughs) glad to be the first. Well, I know that there are so many athletes, especially in the contact sports that have really benefited from the use of cannabis. And I am eager to hear all about how you started advocating for cannabis, because this is something that, you know, for a long time, athletes have been forced to stay at an arm's length when it comes to cannabis because of drug testing. And so I'm, I'm very eager to hear about the advocacy that you're doing. First, tell me how did you actually get started? When did you start advocating for cannabis?
1: Well, I I started working in cannabis um, a few years back, and that was really behind the scenes initially, doing some consulting and and sort of behind the scenes work. And it was really only at the end of uh, 2016, probably, that I started to move into a more open role with cannabis um, being a bit more public facing and then really um, moved into uh, a lot more advocacy and activism in 2017 um, when I became the director of education for East Fork Cultivars and so I started to present regularly about cannabis science, CBD science. And then that year, I also became a member of Athletes for Care, um, a nonprofit, um, mostly made up of retired professional athletes. And of course, we advocate for access, education, research, um, all of the these important components. And so um, really, as I... You know, as I moved into last year, 2018, is when a lot of things really ramped up. And I was doing education. um, I was doing the, the athlete advocacy. And it's just continued to grow from there.
0: I was such a huge fan of, of rugby. When I was growing up in Aspen, we had the rugby teams come in the summertime from Australia and from different parts of the world. And so it was something that I was always so excited to watch. And lately, we don't hear a whole heck of a lot about the sport. And it, it's something that you know I just remember so fondly, and I'd actually like to get back to it. What networks are carrying women's rugby? Do you know? So there's a subscription service
1: called Flow Sports. It's like FLO Sports that carries rugby online streaming here in the U.S., and you have to pay for it. So that's another hard thing is that more people would love rugby. If it was just on TV, they could easily watch it, but it isn't accessible that way. So it's like a catch-22 and something we're working on. But um, sometimes you'll see it on – sometimes there's free live streams, uh, like the Women's Premier League is is offering um, free live streams for a lot of the games, so that's something they can look for on the from the Women's Premier League directly. There's links to those games, and then occasionally, uh, I think NBC Sports will cover sevens, like certain sevens tournaments, and then obviously the
0: Olympics. Yeah,
1: yeah. It it can be hard to find, and I think you know uh, satellite TV or Direct TV has rugby from around the world, but I think the live streams as a free option. You know, the quality is varying, but it's uh, something that's there if people are interested.
0: Yeah. Okay. And as far as the uh, athletes that you know, who have either retired or are still active in the sport, is cannabis something that they're allowed to use now in places where it's legal? Or is it still restricted like it is partly with the NFL and different sports franchises?
1: Yeah, it's still restricted. And There are definitely penalties, various types of different penalties that athletes can face for being open about um, using cannabis, about uh, promoting cannabis, which is why you see mostly the retired professionals who are now willing to come out and say what they believe. And for me, really, too, it's because I'm I'm a a much older athlete (laughs) than (laughs) someone early in their career. And so... For me, many of my windows of opportunity for certain things have passed and, um, and so that it also makes it more comfortable for me to, um, to speak out because there are some opportunities that, that are gone by anyway and that I won't be penalized by losing for telling the truth publicly about this subject that's still seen as stigmatized.
0: What is it that, that you're able to do in terms of negotiating with the leaders of the franchise? And I mean, have you had any discussions with them? Are they looking into it? Is this something that they're just waiting for it to become federally legal to address? How is it going?
1: Yeah, I, so I am hoping to have a conversation with some of the coaching staff for the, the women's national team um, for rugby and just offer them. Some educational resources because I think that they could benefit and the players could benefit so right now our league is in the process of professionalization you know much like uh, football in the 50s or um, women's soccer 20 years ago so that has a lot of minuses to it Uh, you know it's a lot of hard work that goes on but of the few pluses (laughs) one is that we don't have uh, money for drug testing players who are just on regular teams in the league so we don't have to deal with that at least however for players who want to play on the national team and are in that player pool they can and will be tested by USADA and WADA and from what I've heard uh, from my my friends who are in that cohort currently um, is that the coaching staff has even discouraged players from using any CBD products, even though WADA doesn't prohibit CBD because um, they don't feel comfortable and confident that the products won't be contaminated as they put it (laughs) with THC, um, which is on the in competition prohibited list for WADA and can obviously, you know, it can affect the player's eligibility, uh, the team. And so, They don't want to take any risks. I also think there's a lack of knowledge about the medicinal and therapeutic properties of cannabis and all, and its various components. So, um, you know, this issue of testing is one of the reasons that um, that we athletes for care um, have petitioned WADA to remove THC from its prohibited uh, in competition list. And you can find that petition online at change.org. But, you know, we are pushing for awareness around this because for so many sports, um, cannabis is a wonderful wellness tool. It just supports health and well-being in a number of ways. But particularly for the the contact sports where you're dealing with a lot of pain management, um, you're dealing with head injuries, You know, we uh, cannabis. We know is neuroprotective. It has documented um, neuroprotective and antioxidant properties with uh, neurons and nerve cells and um, brain health. So this is this is a unique resource that we really should be using in in contact sports and any sports. And yet we're actually banning it or we're making it hard to use um, the best uh formulations the most therapeutic formulations of it um uh, so really i think education remains a a huge piece of um the global conversation around cannabis
0: so i noticed that you're also a member of the concussion legacy foundation and have pledged to be a designated brain donor tell me a little bit about that organization and how did you get involved
1: yeah um Uh, So this is an endeavor and an organization that I very much support. I am a a pledged brain donor, so, you know, I figure I won't be using it anymore. (laughs) And uh, we can really uh, have the ability to help advance the science around um, blows to the head and brain health, Uh, and particularly for female athletes. We know that there are, um, there are, they have fewer Pledge Brain Donors who are female, um, and we know there's this gap in uh, medical research oftentimes and in medical care surrounding some of the biological differences between women and men. Um, for example, there's differences in um, particular pharmaceutical drugs where women have been found to need three times the dose that men need we get the same therapeutic effect. Um, anesthesia, you know, there's, there's various areas where there are these differences and yet so much of the scientific default is to look at uh, male populations for research. And so um, we want to see, we want to see the full spectrum of humanity and gender represented in the research so we know if there are differences, how can we address those? And so that's, for me, it just felt like kind of a no-brainer, almost like recycling, you know, you might as well do it, you're not, you know, just make this little effort and then um, something good can come out of it, potentially. Um, and then I also participate, they, they do a, a longitudinal, longitudinal study of brain health that has qualitative and quantitative components to where you're, you do a yearly assessment and you have to do some, some tests, you know, like mental uh, dexterity and ability. Um, as well as reporting the more subjective things that you're feeling and and your symptoms in terms of head injury uh, effects and so so I do feel like i su- you know I support whatever they're doing <laughs> um, and it would be very relevant to a lot of people that I know and love for us to be able to diagnose cte or even a pre cte type state in living humans, and I think we will get there so
0: I'm sure that the the science is progressing quite a bit, and actually I've been meaning to sort of follow up with Dr. Raza about that, but you're, you're educating people about CBD, and I know that there are concerns about the THC being traceable in the blood testing with certain types of CBD. I know that it's available without THC, with the THC completely extracted, but are you also educating like um, high school coaches about the use of CBD to protect the young brains. Because I've, I've heard some stories about how the earlier the concussive injuries begin, the more devastating it is later in life. Can you talk about that?
1: Yes. I think that's an important point. Um, I haven't worked with any high school coaches specifically to my knowledge um, other than maybe a couple of uh, teammates who who may also coach <laughs> some high school rugby here and there. But I think it becomes a tricky subject because of the stigma of cannabis. Talking about even just CBD um, can be an area that people don't want to touch when it comes to minors. Um, and so even though there are no laws prohibiting minors from using CBD and, you know, and children can actually can have medical marijuana cards and they can use THC. Um, But yeah, I think that's another area where there's a lot of opportunity for us as a society to gain um, health as we really create more mainstream awareness of the benefits of, you know, of cannabis, of various components of cannabis. CBD is neuroprotective, but there are other cannabinoids that are as well, um, including THC to some extent. Um, Researchers are still really tip of the iceberg on all of these things, but what we have seen so far and the lack of better options makes it seem like we really should be pursuing these avenues. The parents that I know that that give CBD to their kids definitely – Feel the need to be discreet about it. Um, there's judgment from people who don't know anything, and then there are um, there are legal issues. You know, especially in some of the states with very backward laws, we've we've seen cases of child protective services taking kids away from their parents who are giving them CBD for things like epilepsy. And you know, we see cannabis refugees, medical refugees, where families with minors with different medical conditions move to a state where there is medical cannabis or adult use um, so that they can properly treat their kids so (laughs) yeah i think we have a little ways to go before coaches are able to talk to their players underage players about these resources which i think again is very unfortunate and backwards but um, it just really highlights the work that still has to be done in understanding cannabis is a medicine this is not a street drug. This is a therapeutic herb. So, you know, again, the educational piece is going to to have to really spread into various corners of society before we see everyone getting the full benefits from it that they could.
0: It really um, punctuates the need for legalization at a federal level so that we can start to really remove the fear that surrounds it. And I think when that happens, it's going to really open up the doors for more research, for more acceptance, especially in sports, and especially for the young people. And there's still a lot of controversy around whether or not THC is harmful to developing brains. And there have been a lot of contradictory studies. The ones that say that it is harmful were early studies and you know, they were likely using contaminated cannabis, which would be harmful to just about anyone. I mean, contaminated with pathogens like herbicides and pesticides and mold and all sorts of things that can damage the brain, essentially. So yeah, it's, we have a long way to go. And it's, it's hard to remember that, especially if we're living in a state where we have access And especially if we're not in the sports franchises, (laughs) because, you know, that testing is uh, that's that's so annoying. And I won't name any names, but I've met players who, you know, know exactly when they're going to be tested and they protect their brains ahead of time. And then they clean themselves out (laughs) right before they're tested. And but it's a shame that you have to go through those hoops just to protect yourself. But congratulations on all the all the work that you've done. And of course, on all of your amazing achievements. I know that you were a US rugby divisional national champion in 2014. That must have felt great. Yeah. Are you still active? Yes, I'm still playing. Tell me a little bit about your career. And you you obviously started when you were very young in order to reach the level that you are now. But tell me a little bit about it.
1: Well, I started playing when I was 19. That's fairly young. <laughs> but I had played uh, soccer my whole life. And uh, and I was in college. I would transferred schools. I was playing for the team there. I, You know, I just started to, but I wasn't having a very positive experience. And I was hanging out with a lot of the rugby players And they were so much fun. And they eventually got me to just try a little bit of rugby, which was like tackling each other in the snow. And after that, I was kind of like, ooh, I think this actually just suits me a lot more. Where has this been my whole life? You know, the contact. Um, And then, of course, once I started playing, there was just no going back. I was absolutely in love with it. Um, But rugby in the U.S. is very much an emerging sport. So in other other nations and other places in the world it's um a huge cultural uh touchstone and or uh an industry and um you know less so in the u.s we've really had to uh i don't think i've been asked for a while you know they'll say oh rugby is that the one with sticks but you know uh, that's what it used to be um people didn't really know what it was and i think Uh, Awareness has grown because there's been the sport has grown tremendously at every level, including at the grassroots level. So now, for there's youth rugby here, um, which we as a nation, if we're going to be competitive at a global level, that's what we need. We need people to start playing when they're kids to develop the skills they need so that by the time that they're 18, 19, they could be a professional rather than just starting to learn the game. And we're seeing that. We're seeing uh, much more uh, grassroots rugby, youth rugby, high school rugby, and uh, collegiate rugby, um, you know, programs where uh, women can get scholarships. Um, Men as well, but it was especially exciting for us as women. You know, I think later in my college career, there were a couple of schools that had started to offer scholarships for players, and we would talk about that so enviously. Um, Like, Like, wow, wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) Um, And that was a little bit on the late side for me to participate in. Um, But at the same time, it's really exciting to be in this cadre of players that's laying the groundwork for, um, you know, that has helped grow rugby in America and specifically women's rugby um, that we as a group are advancing this sport that we love so much and feel so passionately about. Um, and so I, you know, I played a season overseas in Australia, in Sydney, which was really phenomenal and made some um, lifetime friendships there. Um, and when I moved to Oregon after college, I started playing for our team here at ORSU. Um, the Women's Premier League didn't exist at the time, it was just Division I was the highest level. And as we started to advance our game, You know, we were participating at nationals. Um, We were progressing in our outcomes. And then, so when the Women's Premier League formed 11 years ago, we were invited to be one of the the founding teams. And um, the growth has been incremental. (laughs) It's been there. But we have seen things like, um, you know, rugby became an Olympic sport specifically sevens rugby, which is a variation of the game, Um, one that I also play. I love, you know, for us here it's in the summer, and I definitely love sevens. Um, But that is the version that made it into the Olympics. And a key component of that was the women's game. Um, Rugby was rejected the first time around uh, because they didn't feel like there was enough parity or enough effort um, going towards the women's side. And the Olympics is very... um, strict about that, which is awesome, because what it forced World Rugby to do was, which is the the governing organization, uh, World Rugby had to invest more in the women's game and raise up the opportunities, and so um, with advocacy coming from all across the game, including the the women's side of things, uh, rugby made it into the Olympics, and then we were able to have, for a handful of players, professional contracts to train full-time down at the uh it was called the olympic training center uh now the names change but and down in chula vista um our sevens teams train there for rugby and so for women to actually get these contracts was a huge deal um and for men too but <laughs> uh you know now we see australia has professionalized their top league um in england they're to some extent as well. Um, It's still only a small number of sevens players that have those national contracts, but um, it seems like those opportunities are growing. And men's rugby in the U.S. just professionalized a couple years ago with uh, Major League Rugby. And so we know that where they go, we won't be too far behind, hopefully. Um, So it's you know even though i won't necessarily still be playing um to have these opportunities in the same way as the younger players i'm uh i'm honored to be a part of creating those opportunities and you know all that that means for for women's rugby players for rugby as a sport and then of course with my other passion for cannabis i i want to um use my knowledge of that world, of the science um, to, to help my people, <laughs> the rugby players, as well as all athletes. Really, I think that um, there's so much potential. Uh, you know, people, we love sports for a reason. It gives us an outlet for energy, for creativity, for self-expression, for teamwork, um, to display our character, to develop our character, you know, there's so many different aspects of it, um, and, and yet we take a lot of risks, especially in contact sports, and especially with our brains. <laughs> you know, our bodies can get very injured, but the brain is its, its own beast when it comes to injuries. So um, I am excited to see where it's going to go, and I'm really uh, keen to be a part of, of helping advance all of those things together.
0: Well, the work that you're doing is amazing in that regard, and it is it is so important. But back to what you said about rugby being an emerging sport in the U.S., in Europe and other parts of the world, I mean, it, it's got a great following and everything else, but the same could be said for soccer, because it's it really, I think, in the last 10 years has started to pick up here in the States, but I was thrilled to be watching the female soccer Uh, World Cup. And I kept saying, you know, wow, we women (laughs) have come a long way, baby. When you look at just how the following developed in just this most recent World Cup, I was actually really pleased to see it. And I think that that when people start to embrace women's sports, they actually start to embrace women in general. And I think that there's something really empowering about the championship that occurred during that time. And I think that it's starting to grow as a spectator sport here in the States, more so than it ever has. So I'm really looking forward to seeing rugby go through the same metamorphosis here in the States. And like I said, I mean, I saw it a lot when I was a kid and really miss having it accessible. I hardly ever hear about it now. And so I'll I'll start looking for it now that I've met you. (laughs) But it is, it's exciting. And, you know, congratulations on all of the success. And I know that your work in advocating for CBD for athletes is just, it's so important. (laughs) Can't stress it enough. Um, Just because we have a very broad audience in a lot of states, people may not be familiar with the sport of rugby. Um, I was because of my early exposure to it. But for people who don't understand what it is, can you kind of explain in layman's terms what the difference is between um, rugby and football and soccer?
1: Yeah. So the, the way that rugby started was a uh, schoolboy in England named William Webb Ellis. Um, they were playing soccer, and he picked up the ball and ran with it. And from there, they just started inventing a different game and what that evolved into was the sport of rugby. And so a rugby ball is the same shape as a football, but it's bigger and fatter. Uh, you can't pass the ball forward, it can go laterally or backwards, but you can kick it forward out of your hand at any time. Um, it is a complex game with many roles. But it uh, it doesn't stop. It's very flowing. Um, it it stops for resets here and there um, if something goes wrong. But it's not like football where there's a tackle and then everybody stops and regroups. In rugby, when there's a tackle, then you have a, uh, a contest for possession of the ball, kind of who can push who backward over the ball. If you can step over it, then you get to keep it. Um, that's called a ruck. And so in rugby... You, um football, interestingly enough, came from rugby. Um, they took much like rugby took soccer as an inspiration and then just completely changed it, football sort of did the same. Uh, that might be why in football you have a touchdown, but you don't have to touch the ball down. You just have to break the plane. In rugby, when you score, it's called a try. And part of scoring a try is that you have to touch the ball down in the try zone uh, with downward pressure. And control, so you actually you touch it down, but it's called a try. In football, you don't touch it down, but it's called a touchdown. And you also don't use your feet, you know, in football, really. So anyway, <laughs> um, but that's kind of a, a little bit of a synopsis. so it's a very physical and fast-flowing game. Um, we don't wear helmets or pads. There are a lot of different rules to it and technicalities which can be exciting. Um, sevens can be a great introduction to the game because it is more simplified. And so in regular rugby, rugby union, there are 15 players a side out on the pitch, on the field. In sevens, you have the same size field, but only seven people per side out there. So it's wide open, very athletic, very fast game. Um, And it is a little bit more streamlined in terms of the rules. So it could be a little easier to learn um, if you're new to the sport. Um, But both versions are very exciting to watch. Um, And, you know, you do start to pick up on the nuances, especially if you're watching um, professional rugby from places like New Zealand. The commentators are excellent. Um, You know, rugby is a national sport of New Zealand, so it's very much a part of their culture. So, yeah, I would just encourage anybody who likes kind of exciting sports to take a look at rugby because you might just fall in love.
0: No doubt. (laughs) Absolutely, no doubt. Well, you know, like in touch football, for example, there are no tackling. You're not going to tackle one another and throw each other to the ground and touch. Uh, that would be like a tackle in a way, just body contact that way. Is there any, any sort of contact that makes rules for you in rugby?
1: Yeah, so, so rugby is full contact uh, tackle sport. So you do, you tackle You also ruck, which is that that contest after someone's tackled, you know, and they're on the ground
0: and both teams. Okay, I guess my memory is not serving me as well, (laughs) because I I don't recall that. So it's odd that there are no helmets.
1: Well, uh, yeah. So, you know, I think it's such a part of the fabric of the game that maybe, you know, it's less like. um, Like an incident. It's more of, like, just part of the glue of everything that just keeps happening. Um, so, yeah, so, it, you know, it's full tackle. Um, there is also touch rugby, which is its own sport. And it's it's not just rugby with touching instead of tackling. It's actually uh, has its own strategies. There's only six players per side. It's a different size field. You know, there's all these different roles. I play that sport, too, and it's fun. But, um, but contact rugby does you know have my major passion.
0: <laughs> well, you know what that might be what I'm thinking about um and recalling, you know, from the teams that I saw come up from uh from Australia and New Zealand in the summertime. So, yeah, that that may be what I'm remembering and they were young too. So, it's possible that that there was a difference because of their age. They weren't tackling one another so much, but it's true.
1: And and touch rugby is a very popular sport in its own right. In Australia and New Zealand, there are, are hundreds of thousands of people who play. And so, um, and for kids, oftentimes they start out playing touch rugby, even though, you know, obviously adults play as well. Um, that's something that we're starting to have here in the U.S. too. Um, there, you know, touch rugby um, is growing more and touch rugby for kids. And organizations like uh, Girls Rugby is for for you know, young girls, um, and it's touch, and they teach them the foundations of rugby. And it can be a great uh, entry into the sport, whether you end up playing touch or uh, contact rugby or both.
0: Yeah, well, and for girls, sports in general, like I said, early on in this conversation, can be very empowering and you know, just learning to compete, learning to respect your players, and to to be part of a team and belong to something, I would think that that is really important for the development of uh, of a girl. Um, can you speak to that?
1: I would absolutely agree. Um, rugby has a big emphasis on teamwork. It's not a sport where you can win. With just individual effort, uh, there are amazing individual efforts that will shine. Um, but you really have to work as a team to be, um, to to play the game like it should be played and to be successful. Uh, and I think that that type of uh, sport also teaches um, leadership. Um, it teaches you diplomacy and um, managing teams, uh, managing interpersonal. Uh, relationships, and how to work with people, you know, who might not necessarily be your friend, but you need to accomplish something together. Um, So in that way, I think rugby can really prepare people, but, you know, especially women for success in business and other endeavors, um, because there are a lot of transferable skills. And and also, I think, for women in particular, um, rugby's emphasis on function and performance over appearance. You know, it's not what you look like. It's what can you do and uh, how tenacious are you? You know, whether that is your body size and shape, um, whether you're a really big person, we can use you on the rugby field. (laughs) You know, if you're very small, we can probably also use you. Um, It's really all about mindset. Some of the toughest players I've played with are are physically very small, but they their presence on the field is a lot bigger because they are they have what we call mongrel. <laughs> they just get in there and they they make you know their presence and feel it with their physical actions so I think for women that can be really empowering because our society does place so much emphasis on looks for women and uh, and the shapes of our bodies. And it's hard to care as much about those things when you you care about performance, you know? Your weight relates only to, um, you know, how heavy or light am I for uh, pushing in a scrum or being lifted in a line-out or, you know, finding that ratio between speed and power. You know, what weight is ideal for me to be at my fastest but also strongest? And, um, you know, if my muscles look good, that's great. But what can they do? You know, that's, I think, something very priceless about rugby.
0: (laughs) I love that. And mongrel, I'm gonna have to remember that word. To me, it's like moxie or confidence. You know, it's that, that feeling of being empowered, you know, I love that. I'm going to steal that word. (laughs) Anyway, but you received your master in arts and communications from the University of Portland. And then I noticed also that you, CBD certification, so few educational institutions actually cover uh, endocannabinoid system or, you know, the, the many uses and advantages of cannabis and CBD in particular. Tell me a little bit about that certification program.
1: Yeah, yeah. So just to really clarify that, the name of the program is CBD certified. That's the educational program that I lead um, where we do the workshops and classes. Um, so, so sometimes people wanna know, well, what does this certification entail? And uh, we don't like to, uh, to view it as, as a, an official t- a certification. It's just that CBD certified is just the name of the class. It's, it's what we came up with, like, you're CBD certified. You studied this, you know about CBD now. Um, so I think that, because get, it gets a little bit tricky, um, you know, who is qualified to certify someone in these things? Now we're starting to see uh, established educational institutions creating um, programs of study for cannabis and cannabis science which is exciting. And I think we still have a little ways to go. And then there are a lot of third party educational programs, um, that are great resources, but they are, are not cheap. Um, and so with our program, we made it free, um, because we really want, uh, to get this information out to people so that they can use it to better their lives. You know, and so we want to make it accessible. And for us, Um, For East Fork, we are an organic cannabis and and hemp farm in Southern Oregon. Um, And so we don't uh, view ourselves as being in the business of education. So we don't, we, you know, we talked about how to approach this, like, ah, we don't want to go and start a whole nother business, right, providing education. Um, But what we will do is invest our resources in um, giving back to the community through this free educational program. And so, uh, for me, it's really exciting because I get to um, empower people with knowledge, and I also this is this area of personal interest for me. And so, I get to stay up on all the latest cannabis science, reading research all the time, uh, attending conferences, and and then sharing that with other people. And so, so I think you know, to be CBD certified, you could take the class, and then, yeah, you're certified. You have a pin you can have, um, but really because this is such an evolving knowledge area, we have new research coming out all the time. Um, it's pretty hard to just do like a one and done, like, okay, you know everything because uh, the knowledge is a moving target. So um, that's why it's, I think it's really important to stay engaged in paying attention to uh, the data that's coming out and um, the science. Uh, and so I think even, I'm not sure if the universities that are starting to offer these programs know what they're in for quite yet and how fast things change Um, but I do think that it's great that we are seeing more of these resources and I really look forward to the medical community um, coming on board like you mentioned there are so many people that's an area where uh, the research science has not been integrated into the clinical providers um, repertoire to a large degree so there's a lot of opportunity, and I, I think we'll see probably uh, leadership emerging from some of these areas, um, but in the meantime, it's just it's up to us to do our best to share information with one another that's credible, peer-reviewed scientific evidence, and then to, uh, to figure out how to use that to benefit our well-being as best we can.
0: Absolutely, you're right. and. I know that they're starting to offer the continuing education uh, for medical doctors, the ongoing requirements that are by the AMA. And as of about, I think it was about three years ago, they began allowing the continuing education credits in cannabis study. And I know that happened with the cannabis medical conference that takes place in Pittsburgh. Several years ago, they offered an entire course that was AMA certified. So that's actually really good news. And I'm glad that the American Medical Association is sort of on board with this field of study. I know that the AMA was blindsided when it became illegal many, many years ago. And they had no idea that it was even pending in Congress when they passed the first uh, anti-marijuana law. (laughs) So, and cannabis for many years was like the go-to medicine for everything from schizophrenia to, you know, muscle aches. (laughs) It was just, can you imagine, like, if, if all of a sudden they took away I don't know, let's say uh, penicillin, (laughs) something that's hugely common and said, oh, that's illegal now. You have to go with another drug that's far more dangerous and addictive and all of that. So I digress. But it's been a problem. But well, okay. So well, thank you for clarifying that. because you know, as I look at it, CPD certified program, it, it does sound like it would be a certification of sorts, but it, it's great that you're offering this for free because I think the education component is you know so important. So, is there anything anything else that you have a burning desire to let our audiences know about what you're doing or what you have planned for the future?
1: Yes. Um. So, we are taking CBD certified online. So this is a workshop that I would do in person. Um, however, now we're, di- we're turning it into a webinar. So people from all over can tune in and take the class and get that foundational knowledge. So I'm very excited for that. Keep an eye out for that coming soon. Um, and that will also allow me to offer some different versions, too. Kind of the basic foundational science and then um, focuses on different elements of it you know cannabis for athletics cannabis and diet Uh, which actually brings me to one other point I'd love to mention which is that um, cannabis is a wonderful medicinal resource Um, but it's not a silver bullet and it is really um, part of a holistic set of conditions for well-being you know uh, diet exercise, um, stress, working environments, home environments, uh, all of these things, you know, play a part. And so um, I do think cannabis can be a catalyst for uh, improvement in some of those other areas. Um, But I just always want to keep a word out for balance and for folks not to think of this in uh, in the model of like, Oh take this it makes everything better magically, um, but rather it can help you to improve some of these other areas to to better your well-being It can give you a you know powerful tool to do that
0: Yes, it absolutely can and I know that um, at the cannabis Science conference you're going to be speaking on a panel with other athletes and a few that we've met and we've interviewed tell me a little bit about that panel and what you expect
1: yeah the cannabis science conference is one of my favorite events um their programming's excellent um it it's a very full schedule with so many good choices and actually for me the problem is always choosing between which talks that are at the same time um but uh i will be on a panel with some other athletes from athletes for care um and uh you know including uh riley cote who's an nhl former nhl player uh, marvin washington who was in the nfl for many years um cliff robinson who was a you know nba ex-nba player and just a legend here hometown hero in portland uh, from the trailblazers um and uh it will be moderated by uh, Dr. Sue Sisley, I believe, who has been, um, you know, she has just been a, a powerhouse um, in pushing the government for the ability to do more cannabis research. She's worked with a lot of athletes. She's doing clinical trials with veterans. Um, so, you know, really couldn't um, have a better person uh, in terms of the subject area. So, Yeah. Um, We are just excited. We, the athletes, are excited to share our stories about um, the difference that cannabis has made for us in our lives and its potential to transform us um, for the positive at an individual level, but also at a social level. And so um, I always love hearing the stories that the other athletes bring, um, the different perspectives, and and then our commonalities as well. Um, I always love these events. So I uh, am really looking forward to this one.
0: Sue Sisley is amazing. She's such a champion in this industry. And she's actually also working on a cancer study now. But she's been through it. It's been very difficult to get the accredited institutions involved in the research that she's been doing. And I mean, what she's accomplished has been absolutely amazing. And I also learned that she's in the process right now of, well, she's filed a lawsuit against the DEA to try to open up the doors for cannabis to come from other places other than the University of Mississippi, which I've covered on this show, Ad nauseum. You know, the, the cannabis is so substandard and can actually do more harm than good, and it really places a huge disadvantage or liability on the research that's being done because you don't know if the adverse effects are coming from the cannabis that's being grown by the government or if it's actually cannabis as a molecule, you know, the molecules in the cannabis causing the damage. And when Epidiolex came out, for instance, they had a marker in their study that showed liver damage. I'm like, yeah, I'm not surprised with all the pathogens that are in the cannabis that they had to use for the study. It's really not a surprise, you know, but then the news came out, oh, cannabis causes liver damage, which couldn't be, you know, I mean, perhaps, maybe, I'm not going to say it absolutely does not. But yeah, that was really a challenge. But so I'm, I'm glad that she's going to be moderating that panel. She's amazing.
1: Yeah, she is. Yeah. She's that got fun girl. She'll fight him. She won't give up.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I know. Go, (laughs) Cecily. Yeah. And she was on our show about, um, gosh, two years ago. She was on our show right before she went into the thick of the study with the veterans. And Marvin Washington's been on our show a few times. And I'm due to have him back on. So you can tell him hello for me. (laughs) I will. Uh, Powerhouse himself. So really nice guy, too. (laughs) Absolutely. But he's been such a champion for, I forgive the pun, he's a champion, but he's been a champion for this cause, certainly. And I know that he was also involved in a lawsuit against the DEA. So it'll be interesting to see if that ever resurfaces. I know that one of their petitions was denied, and they had to kind of go back to the drawing board with it. But it was to make it legal for patients to carry their medicine with them, you know, and it was spearheaded by a little girl, and but she needed cannabis. So anyway, I'm looking forward to speaking with him again about that as well. But I wish you tons of luck with the panel. I know it'll be hugely successful, and I, I'm certain that it'll help a lot of people understand the importance of what you're doing. So congratulations on that.
1: Thank you so much. Um, yeah, and just a quick note about that liver damage thing that you mentioned anybody who's interested in learning the facts on that should check out uh, projectcbd.org they did a great takedown of that uh study there were a lot of problems with it like uh it, it basically uh didn't seem very credible at all um so i just uh, offering that resource out there um you should check out their analysis of whole liver
0: damage uh Thank you for that. I'll actually put that on the on the website when I put up the episode in the archives. Uh, give me that uh, URL again.
1: Yeah, it's projectcbd.org. org, and uh, if you look up, uh, I don't know, they have a search function on there. I think if you probably put in liver damage or something, it'll it'll come up. But yeah, it was that most recent. You know, Forbes covered it, and basically um, there were a few things, but. The, the journal where this was published is not a, a credible scientific journal. It's known as a predatory publisher. And uh, one of the conclusions was that 75% of the mice, because this was a study in mice, had died. But that meant that four and a half mice died. That was 75%. So where is the alive half mouse and where is the dead half mouse? You know, I mean, so they, <laughs> they, they looked at the study and they pointed out a number of serious issues. Um, that I don't, I don't accept that conclusion. I don't think there's anything supporting it. And d- yeah, we need more research around CBD for sure, but um, that, I don't think that's a conclusion by any means.
0: It really doesn't give you a whole heck of a lot of confidence in the FDA when they're approving studies. All they have to do is show 30% efficacy and a drug will be approved. So if they had 10 mice and seven of them died And they didn't really do any follow-up research to find out why the mice died. And that's not really part of the final report that's available to the public. It's pretty discouraging. And I need to look at the counters to that study that are on on ProjectCBD.org. I'm looking forward to that. I'll research it voraciously. (laughs) I I love to look into things like that. And one of the things that the FDA has done, now that they've approved up dialects, and, you know, God bless them for actually spending the money to do a study to begin with, wish they had done it a little bit differently. But it actually put CBD on the map. But what it did was it put every other CBD producer at a disadvantage because the FDA is saying, well, there's only one CBD medicine that's approved and all the rest of them are still schedule one. So, and the the hemp bill didn't do anything to alleviate that problem and basically turned the governance of legal CBD over to the FDA instead of the DEA, and we were better off when DEA was handling it because they knew it wasn't harmful, and they said, well, we don't care if you sell it, (laughs) but the FDA apparently does, so. What a mess. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, absolutely, it's a mess, and, you know, as is so much that's going on right now in our government, but I won't go into that. Um, <laughs> I could but I won't <laughs> so anyway well I'm getting a signal that it is time to start wrapping it up any last thoughts for us? Uh, thank you
1: so much for having me on you know we said how important education is and that's what you're doing here um, covering these topics and uh, and helping educate people to move us all forward so thank you for what you do.
0: Thank you so much for saying that and it's a labor of love because it's it's so important for so many people and it's saving lives. So thank you for what you do to educate people as well. We'll look forward to following your career as it continues and I hope that we stay in touch.
1: Yeah, thank you and just feel free to call on me anytime I can help with anything.
0: Thank you so much. I certainly will. so once again, it is time to bring yet another show to a close. I'd like to personally thank my guest, Anna Simons, for sharing her insights and knowledge with us today. If you'd like to learn more about the work that she's doing, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com and click podcast to find today's episode. There you will find her bio along with information and a link to her website. We have so many people to thank. First, I'd like to express our gratitude for our radio partners, Canisphere Biotech, The Growers Network, and Terra. We certainly couldn't be doing this without you. I'd also like to thank our theme song composer, Erica Adal and the production team here at the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show for always making us shine. And, of course, it goes without saying just how much we appreciate our programming directors at XRQK Radio Network and Society Bites Radio for distributing our show. And last but not least... Thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Snowden Bishop, inviting you to join me again next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day.